0: There are so many ways you can support HUG. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: We went to see his old heart in, in pathology. The pathologist said there is no way he would have survived another surgery.
0: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the mother of a son with a critical congenital heart defect. He has had three open heart surgeries and Alexander is my inspiration. He's also the reason I am the host of your program. Today's program is Baby Heart Transplant Miracle and our guest is Susan May. We'll start today's program by learning a bit about Susan and her immediate family in segment one. In the second segment, we'll talk about life after transplant. And in the final segment, we'll learn about what it has been like for Susan to watch her son grow up, get married, and have a baby of his own, all while continuing to live with his original transplanted heart. Susan May is mom to Nick, who is 32 years of age. He was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, transposition of the great arteries, coarctation of the aorta and a septal defect. He had three heart surgeries, one at five days, one at three and a half months, and one at one year of age prior to receiving a heart transplant just before his second birthday. Nick is one of the first children in the United States to receive a heart transplant and is the fifth longest living transplant recipient. Today, he is married with a daughter. Susan has written a book about her son's heart journey with a revised edition released in 2021. Susan also writes professionally and has written 40 books in total, including a nonfiction book about a World War II flight surgeon and 33 medical romance novels. She has three other children and eight grandchildren. She likes to travel, read, and sew. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Susan. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the program today, Susan. This is going to be so much fun.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, well, let's start by talking about your son and the congenital heart defects that he was born with. We know that he had surgery really early, but this was 32 years ago. So I'm curious, did you find out in utero or when did you find out that Nick had a heart defect?
1: I didn't find out until he was about 12 hours old. The pediatrician called me to the ICU and told me that there was something wrong with Nick's heart, that he was not getting blood flow to his fingers and his toes, and that he had called an ambulance from the Children's Hospital in Atlanta and that Nick would be going down there. It was a complete surprise. We had no idea. And at that time they did not do ultrasounds on babies routinely. It was mm-hmm. considered a extra if you just happened to want to know what the baby's sex was. And mm-hmm. my husband and I didn't have the money for that sort of stuff. And we were happy with a surprise on what the sex was. So we got more surprise than we intended to get, I assure you.
0: And thirty two years ago the quality of the ultrasounds wasn't that great anyway.
1: Oh, no. Now you can look at the babies and tell all kinds of parts and look at oh, yeah. the heart and tell whether mm. the divisions in the heart and that sort of mm. stuff. No, ultrasounds were not that good. They were more of black blobs. No, right? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where now they're actually colored up and you can see them on Facebook if you want to. You I know. know.
0: They even have 3D imaging.
1: Isn't that amazing? Uh, Oh, yeah, it is. It is. And I can remember when Nick was in a study for 3D imaging just to do the hearts and do Doppler imaging. And now that's a routine thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Our goal has been that if Nick can survive till medicine catches up with him, I actually thought (laughs) medicine would surpass him by now. We continue to kind of be on the cutting edge of things. Yeah. But they've come a long way. They really have in 32 years, yes.
0: It's just right there with him. It it really is amazing because if he had been
1: born just five years earlier, he may not have made it, Susan. If he had been my oldest child, they would have given us two choices. One was to take him home to die. The other was to leave him in the hospital to die. They would have Hmm. never even offered us an opportunity for Nick's original surgery. So in that aspect, we were really fortunate, and we were very fortunate that just the year before, Dr. Kurt Cantor, a Nick's heart surgeon, was at Emory and Eggleston, He did adults and pediatrics at the same time at mm-hmm. the hospitals are just across the street from each other. So he walked over, and we were real fortunate he'd come to town and was on staff, and that he could do the surgery. Absolutely, he's a legend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I know his name. I've read some of his research. He's an amazing surgeon.
1: That's fantastic. He's retiring in actually a couple of days. Nick and I went to his retirement party a few weeks ago, but that doesn't mean that he's out of our life. I still have him on speed dial when I need him. So
0: <laughs> I love that. It's so funny how these surgeons and the pediatric cardiologists, they actually become part of our family, part of our
1: extended family, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, most definitely. And I think some of that comes in Nick's case from having more than one surgery by the same surgeon over and over Mm -hmm. again. And other parts come from they're proud of their patients Mm
2: -hmm. and they
1: enjoy seeing their successful patients. Most of the time with the pediatrics, You do surgery, you get them well enough, they go home and you don't ever see them again. And Nick grew up in a pediatric hospital, and those people do become friends and family, and you know their children's names, and Mm -hmm. get birthday presents and Christmas Mm -hmm. presents and those type of things, attend weddings and all, and become part of their lives, and they become part of yours. Dr. Kurt Cantor, did he do? All of Nick's surgeries? (laughs) Every single one of them. He did the first one when he was five days old, then the other one at three and a half months, then at one year old. And then he did the heart transplant. And when Nick was 19, he had endocarditis. And Dr. Canner was there. It was far worse than anything else Nick had ever had for a number of reasons. One was Nick had been sick for like nine months. We knew he was sick. He was going to the hospital. We just did not know what it was. Nothing appeared Mm -hmm. as a problem in his blood work. And they were taking blood work constantly. He was in and out of the hospital for checks. And by the time it manifested itself, his aorta was the size of a golf ball. And oh my gosh! Was. yeah.
0: Okay. Alex had an aortic yes. aneurysm as well, and they had to excise that. And that really was scary. So let me ask you yeah. real quick. You said uh-huh. he had a surgery at five days of age. Was that a Norwood or a modified Norwood? That was a
1: Norwood. And okay. then he had a right and left pulmonary repairs.
0: Mm, okay. And then his second surgery, was that a bidirectional gland? No,
1: he didn't even get to the gland yet. His pulmonaries were so narrow, mm. they repaired both of those. And when he got ready to have a transplant, the debate was whether to have the glen. And we never got to the glen. He had the transplant. Okay. By wow. the time he had the two pulmonary repairs, his heart had taken the lick. And then, in fact, we went to see his old heart in, in pathology. The pathologist said there is no way he would have survived another surgery.
0: This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
2: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Let's start this segment by talking about life after transplant, because let's face it, most of Nick's life, He has had this transplanted heart. So you say he got his transplant before the age of two. We know he didn't have the Fontan, but it sounds like he had a really complicated heart that didn't go the traditional path that children who are born today with a single ventricle heart would go through. So tell me what his experience was like.
1: After his transplant, it looked like they had put red lipstick on his lips. It was a difference between daylight and dark. I'd had this blue cyanotic baby who I thought was adorable, you know, and then I got this pink, beautiful child after transplant. The first year after transplant is very intense, Mm -hmm. constantly giving medicine, constantly going to the hospital. And we started out once a week for a month. Then you went out to every two weeks, then out to every month, every three months, six months. And six months was the best it ever gotten. it still is about the best it is. It was very intense. If you ran a 99.5 temperature, which is a nothing temperature, we still went to the hospital because he was immunosuppressed, then his temperature right. didn't accurately read a normal person's body. There were a number of times that I was driving in downtown Atlanta at 2 a.m., that was not unusual, just Nick and I driving around on our way to the hospital. I remember I missed the last ball game of the World Series when the Braves won the first time because we went to the hospital at 2 a.m. in the morning and the next night I couldn't keep my eyes open to watch the last ball game. And oh, uh, my but goodness. That was <laughs> but that was the way life was. but after mm-hmm. the first year, it smoothed out. And we went every six months. It was a real significant day when the transplant coordinator called and said, y'all come down for a biopsy on this day. And I told her, we can't make it that day. We've got other plans. And the hospital had controlled our lives for years. We went the next week or maybe two days after or whenever. But I learned that the hospital got on my family's schedule instead of us being on their schedule. And just it love was, that
0: because <laughs> that means you got your life back. Uh,
1: yes, we, yes, it controls you enough. Let me mm-hmm. put it that way because mm-hmm. it was not unusual for us to go off on a trip and I would have to take Nick to an emergency room. I mm-hmm. always knew more than the emergency room doctor did about sure. it. As a general rule, they were really good because I'd call the transplant coordinator and mm-hmm. tell him there was a problem. And they would tell me what test to run. And I got mm. good enough that I would go in and tell the doctors what <laughs> test to run. I and love I, it. <laughs> and more than one time, I read a chest x-ray because I could tell if he had pneumonia or not. <gasps> and Dr. Kenner would go, and where is she now? Because we were always off somewhere. But he promised me quality of life with a heart transplant. And I believe that Nick has truly lived quality life, but he, he went and did as a kid and has traveled extensively and still loves to travel, takes his family and goes two or three times a year. He's gone somewhere with his family and that's part of living and surviving and doing. And that's what a heart transplant's all about is making the most of the life you're given. Exactly, exactly. So it sounds
0: like he went in very cyanotic, very blue, maybe not having a whole lot of energy. And when he came out, he was pink. Did you see his energy
1: level increase after that? Oh, definitely, definitely. But he also has things that are significant to his heart because of his prior physical makeup, he uses one lung mainly, so it makes it difficult for him to mm. run. In mm. high school, he was afraid he wasn't going to pass his P.E. test to graduate because you had to run a mile, and he was afraid he wasn't going to be able to do that, oh. which he did. He actually ran the mile. His teacher would not have flunked him for it but he was concerned about it and I told him go out there and give it his best effort and he was very proud of himself because he did actually achieve that but it's still difficult for him to run but he water skis and snow skis and played tennis on his high school tennis team and he was able to um, play
0: tennis with one lung yeah
1: yeah yeah well he has (sighs) both of his lungs he just gets 80 percent of his blood flow to one lung and 20% to the other. So that makes Mm -hmm. it more difficult for him. Mm -hmm. But he wrestled in middle school. So he's pretty much done what he wants to do. Within reason, he would have liked to have played football. But instead Mm -hmm. of playing football, he was a manager for the team. So he was Uh around everybody. He made the most of what he could do. And I encouraged him to do that, obviously. And his daddy did too. He's been pretty successful in that area. Now, he's not an Olympian, but I don't know that he was ever going to be an Olympian to begin with. I (laughs) hear you.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like he was able to experience a lot of the things that boys his age would have experienced in school. What was his self-esteem like when he was in high school?
1: Oh, he has good self-esteem. I know of a lot of children that cover up their scars and Mm -hmm. they don't. Or they they get bullied. Yeah, well, I I don't remember Nick ever being bullied, but he was the youngest of four. And everybody Mm -hmm. pretty much knew his other brothers and sisters. Not that that made any difference. He's never said anything to me about being bullied. He was a little conscious of being different. But by the time he had come up all the way through school, people knew that he had had a heart transplant. And so he wasn't infa- afraid
0: to talk about it, Susan? He told no. people about it? Because if he had his surgery before he was two, by the time he was in high school and he was in a dressing room with the other kids, his scar would have been fairly significantly faded.
1: Well, actually, he has a scar down the center of his chest and then one big one around up under his right arm. I think we counted up. He has 28 scars that you can oh see. Goodness. and that does- Oh. <laughs> his best friend when they were in college used him as his wingman and picking up girls because he told them his buddy would tell the girls that Nick had been bitten by a shark and so <laughs> no that,
0: I love it me. that is such a guy thing you know when Alexander <laughs> was living in Florida and he would go swimming with his friends and they would say to him hey man what's that scar he would say oh I got bitten by a shark That's what he would say, too. I think it's totally a guy thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and Nick, when he was little, just two or so, we would go to the beach and he went without a shirt. And if somebody asked something about him or said something, I would tell him he'd had heart surgery or after the transplant that he had had a heart transplant. And it was an opening for me to share about organ donation, for one thing. And also, I thought it taught Nick to share and not be embarrassed by what he had. He still struts around like he's got muscles like some big pro football player, and he doesn't. He's <laughs> tall and he's tall and thin and lanky, you know. So that really has never been a problem for his ego. We've always told him we were proud of him and that it wasn't anything to be ashamed of when he goes to the beach now. He still doesn't wear a shirt. I mean, that's not his thing. He looks different as he grew some of that left heart issues, also with the left side of his body. So his clavicle Mm -hmm. is shorter, which pulls Mm -hmm. his shoulder in and Mm -hmm. makes him walk with a little bit of a funny gait. It's all of the left side of his body that manifests itself more at 18. It never showed up earlier than that. As he became into adulthood, it really did. But that doesn't slow him down. He did tell them when he started working full time and he was the boss, he told a couple of the people he worked the closest with that he had had a heart transplant, that if something happened, if he passed out or something odd, for them to call 911 right away. That's not his lead line, though you know, I've had a heart transplant. It's more of after you get to know me, I tell you about it kind of thing.
0: This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. Susan, I was so impressed that Nick was one of the first infant heart transplant recipients in the United States and that he's thriving today. But I understand he had a scare when he was 19 years old.
1: Can you tell us about what happened? He had endocarditis which caused a aortic aneurysm and we didn't know he had been sick for some time and finally it manifested itself in a nasty ways. It was all over his body. We were actually told, or I was by myself and was told that he had cancer, which can be a side effect from taking immunosuppressant medicine. Right. But they finally came back after doing an MRI and saw that his aorta was the size of a golf ball. We saw a picture of it afterwards. Dr. Ganner showed us a picture of it. And it looked to me like when you see the pictures of a real close up of the sun and the sun is throwing off heat and fire, that's Mm -hmm. what Nick's aorta looked like. And it was actually, it was pussy by the time they went into surgery. And Mm. he was on the operating table for 16 hours. He thought he was going to die I would not let myself think about him dying, but Mm -hmm. at 19 years old, that was the first time he had ever really had a scare because all of that other stuff had happened when he was an infant. And not only did it affect him, but it affected his brothers and sister Mm -hmm. because they too had been so young. They didn't really register. They knew Nick had a heart problem. We went Mm -hmm. to the hospital for visits and we came home. It was never anything dramatic. Nick was not treated any different than they were. He had chores and responsibilities and had to behave and act just the same as they were taught to. He really did not get any special privileges. In fact, they argue now about who is my favorite, and and you would think as much time as I spent with him that they would all think it was him. But no, they say it's the oldest one, his older brother. Oh, so we managed to make that pretty smooth, you know? Yeah.
0: So. Well, let's back up just a second, because you said uh-huh. this really affected them. And of course it did, because now they are all adults. Perhaps some of your children even had children themselves. And I think we look at our parents differently after we have a child ourselves. My son, Alexander, had open-heart surgery at 17. By then, his brother was 20. And I know that that surgery and that interaction was very different for them. How did his surgery at 19 affect his siblings? Can you tell me some specifics of how
1: they were affected? Now, they asked a lot of questions. And the biggest question was, how bad is this? Is he going to die? Those type of questions. My daughter asked more of them. My oldest one was trying to finish up college, and Mm -hmm. he was absorbed in that. Not that he was oblivious to what was going on with Nick. It's just that his mind was focused in two different directions, and hers wasn't quite as focused. Plus, being female, she was a lot more Mm -hmm. sensitive to that. But yeah, Nick spent three weeks in the hospital before He actually had his surgery and then another Mm. week and a half after that. They were at the hospital every other day. And then I have a mentally challenged son also. So they were seeing about their brother at the same time while Mm. um, Nick's dad and I were at the hospital with Nick. So your older Uh
0: children were helping to take care of your other son? Yes. Yes. Wow. So they they really pitched in.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. They took turns and they saw to it that he got where he needed to be and that sort of stuff. While still, you know, they came every other night to the hospital to visit Nick, but it was pretty tough when my daughter curled up in bed with Nick the night before he was to go into surgery. They were all there the day that Nick had surgery, except Drew, the oldest one who had a class that if he missed, He would lose a whole semester of school, and the professor didn't let that go by because his brother was having heart surgery. But he showed up about midway through the day. But like I said, it was 16 hours worth, so there was plenty of time there. It affected the siblings. Um, that well, sure, around. to think it about really your did.
0: brother's mortality, that's not something yeah. they were probably thinking about when he was an infant. You were probably yeah. able to protect them from that, but once they're older, they are more cognizant of what's going on.
1: Oh, most certainly. One of the things I had worried about when Nick was initially born, I said, do I pray for him to live and become a member of the family, where to lose him later? and it affects not only Andy and I, but the brothers and sisters, and then Nick has friends and grandparents. I mean, there's a wider circle of people involved in a loss there. Or was it better for me to let him go as an infant and not be involved with a circle of friends and a circle of people that he touches their lives? God had control of that. I Obviously, mm-hmm. I did not, but I was looking down the road and sure. and how things are. And, and who you know, would have
0: believed, Susan, who would have believed I, that now your son would have a daughter of his own? Tell me what it was like for you when Nick told you that
1: they were expecting a baby. Well, actually, he told everybody else but me. What? And for, <laughs> yeah. But they actually lost one early in the pregnancy so they were waiting till they were pretty far along Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: everybody in my family knew but me and I opened a Christmas (laughs) present that had one of those ultrasounds in it and there was a picture Uh, of a baby uh, and everybody was watching me. I never dreamed that they were expecting a baby and um, Ava Grace is just a Little blonde lump, and just <laughs> sweet and cute and verbal and crazy about her mom and daddy and crazy about us. And, what year um, was she born, Susan? Oh, good night. She's three. She's the same and age that, as my granddaughter. Oh, no, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah. she was born in 2018.
1: Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. And okay, um, she'll, be, she'll be four in July. So, okay. Um, She is just a little bird and a pleasure to have around. And she comes and stays with us when Nick goes to the hospital for his appointments and that sort of stuff. Okay, um, so let um, me
0: ask you this. You open this package, there's an ultrasound. And now you know, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a grandmother (laughs) with Nick's family. How exciting is that? Were you worried about her possibly having
1: a heart effect? Actually, I was I know of people who say that there's a chance of handing it down and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, but it's 5%. Andy and I had no reason whatsoever Nick would have been born with a heart problem. I mean, we did not have that in our family in any way. Right. You
0: had three and, other children who are perfectly mm-hmm. heart healthy.
1: Correct. And so Nick was a fluke, and 5% mm-hmm. is such a low figure. Mm-hmm. I just did not see any way of ever discouraging that. The doctors never said anything about discouraging it either. Really? And, yeah. and I'm kind of um, surprised
0: because there has been research to show that babies who are born with left-sided heart problems, like our sons, are um, more prone to have first-degree relatives
1: who also have a heart defect. Oh, yeah. I know it's the families that siblings are, or even one family, it was cousins, Mm -hmm. had issues. But I didn't think 5% was enough to go on. And Nick has multitudes of first cousins, and nobody has any issues. So I just didn't feel like it was anything that I should say no to. I'm so happy for you that that wasn't something that really stressed you out. No, it did not. I mean, it occurred to me. And the part that occurred to me, well, we dealt with it with Nick. We'll deal with this if the baby had other problems, but the child could have been born with any number of things at 5%. I wanted Nick to have the opportunity of living a normal life. And that was the process. I'll tell you what disturbed me more for Nick. And he's been very fortunate. He has an absolutely wonderful wife who takes care of him. And if he doesn't do right, she calls me. Oh, no, are, you
0: tag team it with him. Oh, no. Yeah,
1: we're <laughs> uh, Yes, exactly. We're forced to be reckoned with. But what does disturb me is the figure that 70% of chronically ill heart patients have no significant other. And mm. I think that's a very sad figure because if there's ever a group of people that need to have somebody watching and helping them, I think it's chronically ill heart patients. I have um, to agree yeah.
0: with you. I'd have to agree yeah. with you that.
1: So you've
0: recently celebrated Nick's 30th heart transplant anniversary, which is so exciting. And you released a new edition of your book about his heart journey. Tell us about your book.
1: (laughs) Well, I did the first edition was up through Nick being in high school or 18 years old. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: for his 25th anniversary, I had a great big old party and his doctors and nurses and everybody came up and celebrated with us. I decided instead of a party for his 30th, that I would do a second edition to his book, which would include the aortic aneurysm and getting married, graduating from college and having a baby and all of that sort of stuff. So it comes right up to the immediate time. And his anniversary was March the 21st. So the book came out on March the 21st. And it looked like a really good idea when I first thought about it, because I thought, oh, I write; I can whip those 10 years out with no problem at all. But mm-hmm. I didn't count on how emotional it would be. It was a little harder than I thought, but mm-hmm. I managed blood, sweat, and tears to have it ready to go on the 21st. And is that the 21st of
0: 2021?
1: Yes, yes. So just, just a number of months ago. Correct. Correct. Wow. This is Nick's new heart, 30 years and counting. And actually this coming March 21st in just eight or nine weeks, he'll be celebrating 31 years with a heart transplant. Time flies, but the book has pictures of our family. And, and this version is a lot more about how a family deals with a chronically ill child as a member. It's Nick's story in particular, but more of the emotion of the family. And in the latter part of the book, I interviewed the kids about having a chronically ill brother, and how they felt and how they dealt with him being sick during the aneurysm. I also interviewed Ah. Nick's doctors about how they felt about Nick and how they felt about our family. And even so are those
0: entirely new chapters that you added to the book?
1: Yes, almost half wow. of the book is entirely new. I even asked the doctor that had to come in and tell Nick that he had the aneurysm and tell him he had to have surgery and about how hard, you know, was that hard for him and about Dr. canner what it was to be going into surgery again when the last time he had actually had Nick in surgery was when he was two. And sure. here he was at 19 And Nick was longer than any of the gurneys they had in the hospital. Oh, Um, my goodness. Of course, because he uh, was in a children's hospital. And he's six feet tall, not a short heart patient because he was (laughs) transplanted. And they actually had to order bed for him so that it would be long enough for him. Sure. Um, And about his nurses coming and us getting in trouble because we were loud. And because we hadn't, seen it. <laughs> I we hadn't it. <laughs> seen it, we hadn't seen each other in a while, but oh my goodness! Have- well,
0: Susan, it's been so much fun talking to you. I can't believe we are out of time already. I no. want to thank you so much for coming on the program today, Susan.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and I enjoyed it. I always like to share Nick's story and hope it's inspirational Absolutely. to somebody. It is definitely inspirational. Before
0: we leave, tell everybody where they can find your book. And friends, there will be a link in the show notes. So if you're on your exercise bike or you're driving to work, don't worry about it. Just look in the description of the show and there will be a link. But let me give Susan a chance for her to tell everybody how they can find her book.
1: Okay. It's Nick's New Heart, 30 Years and Counting by Susan May. And you can get it on Amazon, Kobo, Anywhere books are sold, to the best of my knowledge. Okay.
0: And Susan is one of the authors that's part of the Heart Community Collection. So I'll also put her Heart Community Collection page up there for you friends. And you can see right there, there's a direct link so that you can buy her book. It sounds completely inspirational, especially since we know it has pictures and it's completely up to date. This is fantastic. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today, my friends. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Till then, visit us at org. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
2: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.